What is up, everybody? We are here, episode seven, with the man, the myth, <laughs> Jimmy Langley. First off, Jimmy, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm kind of fired up, actually. <laughs> Definitely. I, uh, as with everybody that comes on, it's really hard making schedules coordinate, and I sw- I've sworn for the longest time. You either figured out how to clone or you have a twin brother or a triplet or something because you are everywhere (laughs) digitally and everywhere when I'm out socially. So the stars aligned here and we're going to have have some fun today. Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Um, I was able to link up with your right hand man, Joey. Um, Thank you, Joey, for the phone call and really dig in the weeds with him prior to sitting down today. You have an awesome story. Um, I know where you're at right now. We're going to definitely get up to speed, but I wanted to go back to um, where everything started. Yeah. I know it was in Northern California. I don't want to butcher the name of the town you were in. Fort Ross. Fort Ross. Okay, <laughs> close enough. There's um, like 18 people out in the world right now pretty fired up about Fort Ross. <laughs> where's Fort, where, where is Fort Ross? Because I asked him a couple of times that he didn't even know. And yeah, I so it's uh, north of San Francisco. It's on uh, Highway 1. There's an old movie called The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock that was filmed in a town called Bodega Bay. Mm-hmm. We're like... 45 minutes north of that on Coast Highway 1. The Russian River, which runs through Sonoma County, Mendocino County, spills into Jenner, mm-hmm. which we live just north of that. So yeah. north of San Francisco, 67 Yeah, I've miles. never heard of any of those places. Uh-uh. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm trying so to figure out how you were going to butcher for like wine country. Like, <laughs> like really, no, they have Corbell. Have you ever heard of Corbell? Yeah, uh-huh. Corbell oh, yeah. sits on the Russian River. Okay. Uh, there's a Pinot by Fort Ross that's insane. So good. Uh, anyway, so. so was it? Is it like was it in your family? A lot of your family was from that area or grew up in that area. How did it? No. How did you land there? I really don't have. Uh, so I ended up there. My biological father um, was a correctional officer that got a job in Casadero, and what I think was like a kind of like a um, white collar prison, mm-hmm. and so he was a, a prison guard, and so we moved up there, and then my parents. Uh, split when I was around four. Uh, my my dad uh, was a horrible, horrible person and human. And you know, I was lucky. My mom had the courage in the in the early '80s to fight for her kids and mm-hmm. uh, basically get us out of that household and out of that environment and uh, give us a chance at life. And so we we went up there for that. But when that happened, you know, my mom wasn't allowed to work. Uh, socialize, have friends. Her job was to be at home and be a mom. And he had come from the South, so it was very old school, like mm. male domination. Um, so when she left, it was a it was a big deal. Even her mom and family um, were against it, like to the point of calling Child Protective Services to have us taken away from no her. Way. And uh, because it was a little gnarly too, and I, my mom still had some growing up to do when that happened because she really didn't have a chance to do any growing up. And... Uh, but we moved into a trailer that was on what was kind of a junkyard. So people up there would build a vacation home every once in a while and because it was a big popular spot in the summertime for abalone diving. And when they were done building their home or whatever, they would take the trailer and pay this guy a little bit of money to dump the trailer on this, like, on his land up there. And we moved into a trailer that had been there only a few years. So, like, plywood on the windows and on the vents in the floor – uh, you know, all, you know, aluminum, the trailer. And uh, and I lived in that until I graduated from high school. The day oh that we moved in, uh, raccoons, I hate raccoons to this day, 
fucking raccoons. And they're so cute, man. Like, I want to love <laughs> them. So I, I just have trauma. But, uh, like, they would crawl through the vents, dude, and, like, like, check it out. Like, what's going on? And that shit scares you when you're young. And there's, like, a creature stirring around in the mm-hmm. house. Uh, and it's not quiet. Wait, they were in the house? Yeah, they crawl through the vents and, like, try and steal food and shit. So we ended up boarding it up with plywood on all the vents everywhere Fuck. so that shit wouldn't happen. But, uh, dude, kind of gnarly, man. Like, yeah, that is gnarly. Uh, it was rough. So, so you got, you, she, she picked up and you guys left at four and you lived in the same trailer till graduating high school. No That's way. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. A guy named Albert came into my life when I was around nine or 10. He's my stepdad now. And, uh, amazing man. And, um, he's, he's more of like, a an example of, of, of what kindness looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, we're not going to like play catch or talk about girls or anything like that but the <laughs> the dude is the kindest man i've ever met and like they're all like a little crazy and to get a little vulnerable i remember i remember um my mom just yelling at him and screaming at him for like no reason just she was pissed she she had been through a lot and i think that she assumed that all all men were this one certain way mm-hmm. and i remember her absolutely going fucking nuts on him like i think she like fucking broke windows to his car like type shit <laughs> And he just fucking wore it and stood so strong as she was being horrible. And that for me was like, dude, I was like, this guy's ridiculous. Like, cause I'd seen the opposite, right? I'd seen my mom beaten to within an inch of her life. And to see like that guy, like just chill, uh, was incredible. And it was around, and it was your eight or nine. Yeah. I was like nine. And she's still, she's still with him. Yeah. She grew up a lot. She's the, my mom's ridiculous. Amazing. Wow. She's the, she just bought her first house. Um, no way about a year and a half ago. Nice. And uh, she works for my brother's company and is like, just kills it. And uh, she's, she's so, she is so tough and resilient. I think back to the mentality of, for women <clears throat> and, you know, remember this is like 85. <clears throat> so for her to leave, everyone was like, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like you are an idiot. What are you going to do? You've never had a job. You've always been dependent on somebody. What are you going to do? And for her, that pressure of, you everyone telling her that she's stupid but her knowing mm-hmm. what's important and what matters and doesn't matter what comes after that that's all that matters the rest will figure itself out uh it has taught me fucking everything totally that's insane did did after she uh made the move did family turn their back or were they we don't have a lot of family i don't know anyone from my dad's side i don't know my dad i've never i haven't seen him or heard from him since i was four wow and um on my mom's side her mom passed away when I was 10 and then her dad was really her. My grandpa was not in our life after, I mean, he wasn't really involved in our, in our life really. So her siblings, um, weren't, they weren't all that close. Um, and except for a, a couple of them. And, um, in fact, they, you know, they called child protective services to have us taken away from her. Okay. And one of the craziest stories, um, my brother and I are home alone where I'm like six, he's like 11 <clears throat> and we had a Doberman, uh, and this Doberman was like the sweetest dog of all time. But she could get scary if you didn't like really know her. And she hate that dog was beaten badly by my 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 father who drove a truck that was similar to like a sheriff's truck for the for the parole. Um, and the sheriff came to to like take us into custody, and the Doberman went absolutely ballistic. And so the guy was like, I either have to kill this dog in front of these kids to get them the sheriff. Yeah. Or I just am not going to do it. So my mom ended up hearing about it. It's a small town mm-hmm. and she ended up getting off work, came to the house, like yelled at the guy like crazy. 
he ended up leaving and she's like, they're fine. Someone was coming. And, um, you know, it was a different time there too. I mean, my brother was yeah. working at 11. Like we had our shit together. We, we mm-hmm. were making omelets at 11, dude. Like we, we were dialed in. It's not like kids <laughs> these days. You no, know, totally. we, do, we were do you, chilling. Dude, cause I have a tough time remembering anything from last month. <clears throat> yeah. Four years old. Do you remember a, a lot of like the actual moving out and, and going to, I remember the trauma, you know, um, I hate banana chips to this day. I'm getting fucking pretty real here. Um, <laughs> you said you hate banana chips? I hate banana <laughs> chips because <laughs> my brother will laugh when he sees this shit. He's like, you're <laughs> such an idiot. Um, so we we really didn't have food, and so we're eating banana chips. And my dad was out somewhere fucking around. My mom was pissed. And she, like, I, I, she, she leaves to go chase him down. So we're like kind of freaking out. Like we're young, dude, mm-hmm. and we're alone, and we're kind of scared, and we're in the fucking woods. And uh, the truck comes raging into the house, and we're like, uh, dude, this is, this is heavy. So we're, the truck comes raging into the house, and my brother and I are kind of like on edge. And uh, my dad pulls my mom from the truck by her feet, and she's fucking knocked out. And he drags her up the stairs and there's like, and it's a trailer also, mm-hmm. but there's like four stairs to get up. He's dragging her up and we're fucking losing it because we think she's dead. So he's like telling Holy us to calm shit. down and he lays us all on the floor and he watches this fucking like World War II. He would watch like weird World War mm-hmm. II movies and he puts the movie on and he's like petting her and we're like, he's like, she's not dead. She's got a fucking massive knot on her head. And uh, the next morning, my mom woke up like in a panic, like, where am I? And dude, that was it. Holy shit. Grabbed our shit and never looked back. Holy shit. Usually with, I mean, just based off what describing your dad, usually when they they pull out and she moved, I don't know how far away from where he was, he and you guys were living to where you moved to. I think he moved to Alabama. I really don't know. That's what I was going to say is normally wouldn't a guy like that, despite the sounds of him, would put up a fight and like keep trying to pop in and, and I think about that sometimes too because you know there was one a thing I learned in business was uh to be vulnerable about this shit I used to lie about this stuff and hide it right mm-hmm. like when you're a kid and it's Father's Day and you gotta do the Father's Day card and Jimmy gets to do free draw and kids are like mm-hmm. why does Jimmy have to do free draw and you're like because I'm a fucking dad dude mm-hmm. <laughs> um you would like lie about that shit so like father-son game you know it's high oh, school yeah. yeah I'd like borrow like my mom's working, you know, I'd mm-hmm. like borrow like my friend's dad or her or sometimes the mom. Mm-hmm. And like, do you want to pretend you're my dad and the thing? So I have someone to walk out with or whatever. Fuck. I did that. And I would lie about like, what's going on. Like, so mm-hmm. like, or if you're in a conversation and you're like, Oh man, my dad's so funny. Like we were out at the game last week, hanging out and doing some stuff. They're like you, are you close with your dad? I used to go. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to avoid being like, I don't know my dad. And then it being a conversation and a really good business coach of mine was like, cut that shit out mm-hmm. because you're not being authentic to who you are. And you're just, you're building this, you're building bullshit around you. You're never going to really be real mm-hmm. and just be honest about it. When mm-hmm. someone says, are you close with your dad? You can, you can keep it simple and say, no, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, not at all. Yeah. Someone told that me that was a big change for me. I forget how, how they quoted, but they said something about lying's too hard you have to remember too many stories no shit and i look i'm like yeah it's the truth and when you just keep doing it and doing it you're like fuck i don't remember what story i'm i'm in anymore <laughs> um but i feel like now you're you're a dad now do you have two two daughters i have two daughters 
do you do you do you think? Because I I feel like there's one 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 of two directions you could take when you watch either like uh, parents who are a shitty marriage or a shitty dad. All that is you can you can take that and it becomes you, mm-hmm. or you can take that and be like, I'm never gonna fucking do that and and learn. And I and I think it's obviously two separate roads. Does that kind of play into how you like parent? For sure. Oh all- my god, that crazy. It, and the big thing is what is what is unfortunate. <laughs> And I'll do my organic plug on Big Brothers Big Sisters, which I'm involved with. Oh, we were going to talk about but, it. But but for real, like when you think about um, when when parents have a bad dad and they grow up and then they're a bad dad, the issue is they've never been taught how to be a good dad and what that looks like and how mm-hmm. that feels. I'm really lucky that I got shown like what stability you know looks like. I mean, it was a little unstable, but it was pretty fucking good. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, we got along great. We didn't really do Christmas, no presents or anything, but there was love. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole family, we worked on Christmas, dude. Like, I work yeah. every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every New Year's. We're fucking working because mm-hmm. that's where you make the money. Mm-hmm. And so when you're poor, like, you love those shifts. Like, but when, like, when you're, like, you, you, like, fight to have those off so you have these, like, things, we were just a little different. But the love was, totally. the love was there. And, and man, like, when you think about this is things I don't want to be like and this is things I want to be exactly like, those things manifest in our hearts when we're young and they become our why. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about it, right? We're too, we're too wrapped up in, I want that nice car and I want these things. We don't think about where we want to be and why we want to be there. Mm-hmm. And once you know where you want to go and why, fuck, dude, it's kind of it's simple. Because to me, success is just doing what allows you to be who you are naturally, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So, so you, you, you started... Um, I know you're talking about working, and a lot of the working comes from like a kid. You started working pretty young. Young, really young. Yeah, yeah. And, and not like glamorous jobs. No. no. I'm, I, uh, so probably my first job that I, I really remember being legit work was cleaning hotel rooms with my mom. Mm. And uh, it was basically just like I used to walk around like 10 with the keys on my hip. And everyone would laugh, like, you know, there's the foreman. But, dude, I legit <laughs> had to work, bro. Like, yeah. I had to clean toilets and um, – you know, um, make beds and do the laundry and fold towels. And, you know, so it was, uh, that was, I hated that job. I just, uh, that job for me just made me feel, um, I don't know, icky for some reason. I really preferred probably cause I was a boy. I preferred being like out in the field. And so the next jobs that I got to do after that, I started doing more of were like landscaping and like mm-hmm. logging stuff. Mm-hmm. So up there on the coast, um, a lot of opportunities, um, like if, if they're going to clear trees for a vacation home, we would get to go up. They would just hire the locals to go and do it. And we would go up there. And my job at very young age was to take the little husky and take and uh, chainsaw the, the, the leaves off, like the, the branches, mm-hmm. the big ones, right? Because mm-hmm. you're talking about 100-foot trees in some cases, yeah. right? Some massive. So my job would be the smaller ones at the tip of the tree. And then I would have to drag all of that to a brush pile and then so that they could do a burn. A controlled burn Fuck. up there and so that was a, like a legit a job 10? yeah i could weld a chainsaw at 10 years old i could drive a tractor <laughs> i could drive a tractor um i started driving the, the little tractors around when i was like 12 i drove i drove around 60 miles one night when i was 13 13 years 13 12 or 13 years old in a car drove a car. went with a dude he got hammered drunk and uh i just drove home i was like "Fuck it i'll drive home 60 I, miles? I dropped the dude off at the bar. He wanted to go to the bar still, another bar. I drop him off at the bar. I come <laughs> home. I pull up. I walk in. I'm like, fuck, this could be bad. So I walk in, just chill. Like, what's up, mom? I go straight <laughs> to my room. My mom's like, where the fuck's Richard at? Like, 
comes outside. She's like, hey, where, where's Richard at? I'm like, oh, I dropped him off at the bar. <laughs> she's like, how'd you get home? I'm like, I drove. <laughs> and she's like, you're fucking kidding me, right? She got in her car, went down there, and fucking slapped the shit out of this guy, dude. Like, oh my, my mom was gnarly, man. Like, scary shit, dude. Different times, though. Different times, man. Fuck. Yeah, dude. Um, That's wild. So I did that. My brother taught me about restaurants when I was around 13, um, which was which was better because it was easier labor, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd make four twenty-five or five bucks an hour cutting, um, you know, doing the logging bullshit, um, splitting wood on the wood splitter, fucking for hours and stacking cords. To go wash dishes to make four twenty five an hour yeah. plus tips was fucking gold, golden goose, dude. Like mm-hmm. so money, and I loved it. And so uh, I started doing that uh, when I was very young, and I think like all those things. And I tell a story like working in the kitchen. My brother just made a post on his restaurant company about it. Um, when I'm like fourteen, this cook, everyone drinks too much, right? They're probably a little meth. I don't, I don't think I knew what meth was at that time, but <laughs> probably a little meth going on up there. Uh, definitely too much alcohol, like raging yeah. alcoholics was was a major issue. Um, and I remember this one guy um, just hammered drunk, wrecks his car on the way to work, and uh, it was raining. And so I come into work. I'm 13. I'm in eighth grade. And I come into work. He's not there. And the owner comes in freaking out like, hey, there's a motorcycle group that was coming up the coast and it's raining. And so they're all going to stay in the hotel here. And the hotel was kind of nice. It's called the Timbercove Inn. It had, I can't even tell you, probably like 60 rooms. And this group came up and they filled up like most of the rooms. Mm-hmm. So the restaurant is fucking jumping, dude, like all at once too. And it's insane. And um, they're like, the guy's like, what the fuck do we do? We don't have anyone. So they try calling another cook from the deal. My brother's already in another place and they get a guy to come over, but he's not a cook. Like he's like another dishwasher from another spot. So the guy who wrecked his truck ends up showing up, but his leg is broken and he can't move. So he sits on a fucking crate in the kitchen and I'm like, and I'm, I cook every meal, dude. I crushed it. No way. I had bikers coming into the kitchen taking pictures. Like, dude, we heard like a 13-year-old's doing all this shit back there. (laughs) We have to see this. So I remember, and I did it. I killed it. What pissed me off about that night was we're done. Every dish in the fucking restaurant has been used. And so it's this tall. It's like down every corner, every pot, every pan. And it takes me until about midnight to get everything clean. And uh, midnight, like 12, 1230. And I have to take the trash like 100 yards which is another reason I hate fucking raccoons. And I got to go out and I got <laughs> kick, to kick the dumpster so that the raccoons will jump out so they don't jump on me when I throw the trash in because it's in those 50-gallon yeah. containers yeah. that I would hold over my back and walk out. I throw that shit in there. When I went out there, I drained the fryer into the bucket because they would come. It was one of those outdoor um, grease traps that someone would come and pump out and they were coming the next day. I had to clean it. Mm-hmm. So I drain it in there. And I go dump the trash and I come back. I forgot to turn the fryer off. So it melted right through the five-gallon bucket, and fucking oil grease is everywhere on those red fucking kitchen tiles. And I just sat down in that shit, and I started crying, and I just motherfucked my mom. I'm like, my mom is a piece of shit. I can't believe this is my life. This is all her fault. I hate you. I hate my life. Just depression. This is the the same night that you were cooking, Yeah. then closing out, and then that happened. Yeah. Fuck. So I clean it up. I get home. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I ride my bike. And um, so I, I go to sleep. I wake up. 
I wake up to my mom, like, sitting on my bed, like, brushing my hair. And she's crying, like, totally upset. And I'm like, I pop up, like, like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And she's like, no, it's fine. I'm just, I'm devastated that last night was your night. I heard about what happened. Mm. And I'm mad. I should have gone over there. But someone told me that you were almost done when I was driving home from my shift. So I thought I would just see you at home. And I fell Mm -hmm. asleep. And I heard you when you got home at, like, three. What happened? So I tell her what happened. And I... Was feeling bad about everything, and she's like, "Look, you got to get up for school." Um, oh man! And just, I'm so sorry. And it was like an emotional thing. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, but that changed me so much in my life because I think I literally, I don't think I've made an excuse for anything that's happened in life since that day. Mm-hmm. Like, or, or I felt really guilty about being mad at her when I know that she's what she was doing. And at a young age, I, I know at that time it was like, I know that you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. for us you know mm-hmm. and i felt bad and for me i just i've never since that moment i've never one time made an excuse for something that's not gone right or been bitter about it if i get sad i'll give myself a minute or two maybe an hour and, uh, <laughs> and then I, I move on you know and yeah. uh so anyway i imagine that probably wasn't the last time you had those like moments and you probably had to keep you, sure. you couldn't quit either. It happens so all the time. Yeah, you couldn't it's quit. It's a way of life now. Yeah, and, and you're still in school. So, and you're a kid. Yeah, all these stories you're telling us, you're 8, 10, 12 years old. Was there ever like a chance to have any kind of normalcy in your life, like a childhood at all? Or was it just, do you, no. no, not at all? Because all that money too probably went to I never, bills. I think we went to Disneyland one time when I was 11. Um, that was it. No vacations, no zoos, no field. I mean, we would do little field trips up there, but nothing crazy. But no, dude, my, my kids this summer did more than I did my entire childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Fuckers. Um, (laughs) But like they like, no, I'd never been to the zoo. You know, what's funny. Like my wife and I, we will go to SeaWorld. We've done this before. We went to wild animal park. We went to SeaWorld. And then we went to the zoo in the same day, in one day, just because we could. And we're that like, rad. and our kids had a fucking yeah. blast, dude. Yeah. And we do this day where we do like choose your adventure, and we built this like little board on the tw- on the twister spinner, and you spin, and whatever it lands on, like that's what we're gonna go and do for the day, which is so fun. I met, dude, <laughs> that did not exist. I had to go to work. I played sports. I played uh, basketball and baseball, um, and then I worked full time. I would go to school, so I lived so far away. I would wake up at 5 a.m. and then you had to catch the car by 5:30. The car would drive you south to Jenner, uh, where they would have uh, a bus parked in a shed. You would then get into the bus at the shed, and you got to remember this is NorCal, so the winters are yeah. fucking mm-hmm. like you're on the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it just has a way of sitting right at like 33 degrees, right? <laughs> and you would get in the car, and then you would. And then you would go to school. School started. So you have to do the whole bus route. So then oh. you would, so then you do the whole bus route. So you're the first kid on yeah. the bus. On the, by the end of it, it's a party. Like, I love the bus. And you're like, I, dude, I fucking hate this bus. <laughs> but I, I learned to love country because the lady listened to country music. But um, nice. The, you would get to school at 730. You'd go to school all day. School ends at 2. You then go to practice from 3 until 5. I would then... Sometimes hitchhike, get a ride, or I could take the public bus to at least Jenner, and then someone we'd all I'd always constant fucking coordination. 
get a ride or hitchhike and then go to work and then do it over again. Fuck. When I played basketball, there were times that I didn't see my home in the daylight for four months. Because you were leaving in the morning in the dark, coming home. Fuck, man. Yeah. And a lot of times you would go, I imagine that's when you're working in restaurants, so it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. You'd have to finish that up and you go straight to Right. So I, if I finish, I would try and finish by like 10 usually, 10, mm-hmm. 9 or 10. I get home, I sleep, I do all my homework on the bus. All of my homework would get done on the bus. Damn. And so, like, or I would be good about getting it done in class because I would do my homework. I would do my, my reading. And uh, at, at times, I kind of say it's kind of nice to have that because it was literally alone time, you and a couple of your buddies to get your shit done, mm-hmm. you know? And you're all in the same classes, so you're kind of like in a study group. Were your grades good? They were good. On yeah, they were all right. I was like a, I was like a, a 3.0. I, I was dean's list in college, three point, like a 3.2 mm-hmm. was like honor roll for sports and being over a 3.2. But I was like a, was like a 3.0 student mm. in high school. Mm. And literally, I mean, but I also did like calculus in high school. So I was advanced in math. Damn. Um, but That's I crazy. really never, I didn't try really, I would say. Mm-hmm. I just did what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And that would be about it. If there was extra credit. I ain't doing it. <laughs> I already got enough extra credit over in my own life, dude. So There's no time for extra credit. From from what I hear, too, you got you got pretty good at baseball. That's how you got. I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I, should, I did. Yeah. You don't ask these things, but that's how you got the nickname, right? Lefty Langley. You're yeah. a lefty, a pitcher, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I did. I did uh, have an amazing career in baseball. Um, I was lucky to be have an older brother. I played catch with them every day. It mm. sucks when you're eight and he's thirteen. But that made me tough, dude. Like, mm-hmm. so when when I was like, like I was a freak, dude. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I was six two at, at like size thirteen shoe, six foot at thirteen years old. Mm-hmm. So when I was in little league, like that was kind of fucked up, dude. I wasn't, <laughs> there was like multiple games uh, where I literally would strike out every hitter except for the last guy would bunt. It happened two different times, um, but it was just not really fair, right? And so in high school. Um, I was good, but I was kind of a mess, kind of wild and all over the place, but I was big and athletic. I was actually better at basketball than baseball in high school. Hmm. And then when I got to junior college, I went to Santa Rosa junior college and I got to do like United States, um, it's like a junior Olympic team with like the, it was basically an all-star team of area code games. So I got to go with like the most elite guys and I got to try out for the Rangers area code team and the San Francisco Giants area code team at 17. Damn. And then, and I just never would quite get there. Mm-hmm. But I remember working out with Josh Beckett and like, and and Matt Laird and, and uh, insane dudes. Matt Thompson went to Wake Forest, and I ended up getting so I, I this is a cool story. I go to try out for the Texas Rangers area team. I fly out to Dallas, and um, they do. You get on the the thing, and all they have sixty pitchers trying out for twelve spots. And they're from all over the country. And a lot are from Texas, but they're from all over the country. Josh Beckett pulls up in like a town car, gets out, does his stretch up, warm up. He throws first on the mound. He hits 98. We're, we're 17 years old. He and is too? He's- yeah. We're the same age. And fuck. so he hits like 98. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing like 83, 82. And, but I had good stuff. And that's still decent at 17 years old, but they go, but I'm just as big as I'm like one of the biggest guys there. Mm-hmm. And so then he, he throws, I go right after him. 
<laughs> I remember this like it was yesterday. I throw my first fastball, and the guy looks at the gun, and there's like 16 scouts behind the net, and they all look at their gun like, is this real? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I got more. I got more than that. <laughs> I got more. I didn't fly. Like, it was the same as the last one. I'm like, I'm fucked. They basically are like, I throw like four or five pitches. They're like, we've seen enough. Thank you very much. Oh, oh God damn it. I'm fucked. So we go out. We're done. I know I'm cut. Like, there's just super freaks out there. I felt honored to even get invited out there to try out. But we're, we're in the outfield shagging balls. I'm sprinting to shag balls because in my head, and this is shit I just used to do, I build competition for myself in normal situations. And so I'm a little weird. So like when I would peel potatoes in the restaurant, I would do it both hands so that I could time myself and try and beat my own record in peeling potatoes. <laughs> so we're in the outfield and they're shagging balls and I'm trying to count how many balls I can shag. So I'm fucking sprinting back and forth trying to grab more balls than anyone else. And it's just doing the shit in my own head. And the coach is out there like, this kid's a fucking animal, dude. <laughs> so they end up going to do this insane trip. They take an all-star team from the area code team, which became like the Junior Olympics for the United States. And a bunch of guys didn't want to go. And this is when baseball was currently turning into a little bit more of a diva sport where guys were like, we got to protect our arms, you know, mm-hmm. which is legit. I'm not mm-hmm. discounting it, but we're finally becoming aware. We were... Our era, we would throw in high school 150 pitches in a game, easy, (laughs) which is so fucking faux pas now. Yeah. But in that time, the guys were starting to recognize that you can't do that anymore. So the guy, the coach of the team was the coach that was out of Texas. He got so sick of guys saying no. They called me and was like, I want you to be on this team because I know you'll fucking grind it and you'll love it. And then I actually ended up uh, becoming an all-star when I was out there on that team. And it was cool because everyone got drafted out of high school except for me. That was on that team, but I, it did elevate my game significantly. Totally. It wasn't until I got to Santa Rosa where I became a man, and uh, Damon Neidlinger, our coach there, who's still the coach there, mm-hmm. uh, that dude is the most incredible man uh, that I've come across. I'll, I'll say one of, but, like, dude, I'm talking top three, four dudes. This guy um, has a way of being so hard on you, but in a way that you love. And I remember my first outing up there. I'm supposed to be a guy. Everyone knows who I am. And I'm supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. And in my first scrimmage game, I walk the bat. My first batter, I walk him. And I kick the dirt. I snatch the ball when they throw it back. And he sprints out from the dugout. And he gets right in my face. And he's like, who the fuck do you think you are? And I'm like, he's like, get off my field. And I'm literally like, what, the, what is he talking about? And he's like, get the fuck off my field. And he gets real. He's like, grab your shit and get the fuck off my field. No way. And I'm like... Oh, my God. Like, what just happened? So I get off the mound, and I'm packing up my shit. I get my cleats in my bag. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not leaving, dude. Like, I'm just not going to quit ever. I'm like, I'm not leaving. And so I just start running poles. I run for like two hours. No way. While they play the scrimmage, while they finish practice, and they do the scrimmage. So the game's done. We do the field work. I jump in. I help do field work. And I just act like nothing happened. I'm like, let's see see what he says, you know? He doesn't say shit to me, and he leaves. So I come back the next day, and we're stretching, and he shows up, and I'm fucking, like, shaking, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I'm so afraid of this guy. And I'm twice his size, and I'm fucking definitely afraid of him. <laughs> and he uh, doesn't say a fucking word to me. And we get into the deal, and I look at the sheet for today's practice plan, and I'm on there to do another, like, deal. So I get out to go throw the next day, and he comes up, and he goes, the reason I kicked you off the mound yesterday 
was because you think you're better than you are. And, but you really don't believe it. So when I see a guy like snatch his glove and kick the dirt, you think you're so good you can't walk, guys? Like, mm -hmm. you're so good you can't make a mistake and fail? He's like, that's not how we play baseball here. We do not fear failure here. And until you can truly not fear failure, and you'll know in your mind and in your heart, like, we'll know when you don't fear failing, then you'll be ready. Then you'll be ready to advance to mm -hmm. the next level. And there are little things like that that was constant, dude, like, just little things that he would do that were gnarly as fuck. But and that was, were, that was first scrimmage, first. That was, like, that was like one of the biggest life lessons you'll ever have. Totally. That lives with me and my heart today and has everything to do with all the shit that I do. That came from the first day of baseball at Santa Rosa Junior College. How and long were you there? I was there three years. I redshirted my first year because I was not good enough. Mm -hmm. I was average my second year. And then my third year, I was plagued with like injuries in the fall. So going into the season, the coach was like, look, um, I really don't know where you're at in the team. You're our team captain. And, uh, but, um, um, I don't know where you sit. And I was the type of guy, and this is another thing that's helped in business. I was the type of guy I've been there for a long time. And so I demanded excellence out of guys. So if we were stretching and you guys were dicking off, I'd be like, Hey, let's go. We're stretching right now. We're not fucking around. And if we were doing our workouts mm -hmm. and it was behind the scenes and no one was watching and you were dogging it, I'd be like, I would get in your face. I'd be like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. I'm not handing the ball to you in the ninth fucking inning when you're going to close it out because you're a fucking pussy. You can't even do your workouts. Mm -hmm. That's how I was. And guys respected me. And I would go to them later. I'd be like, look, man, you can't look at the guy next to you and go, okay, I just got to go that hard. You have to, in your mind, push yourself inside here. And mm -hmm. you can't worry about what anyone else does. It's in your own head. Mm -hmm. Your mind is everything. And so I would take freshmen that would like try and dog it. They thought it was like cool. Because no third-year guy you would ever have to say that to. But the freshmen, every time. Mm -hmm. But you'd have to train them our way of life. And that's not even coach. That's, yeah, that yeah. is leadership, right? Yeah. And so for me, that's what I, that taught me leadership like crazy because – as we would go through things and I would train guys like, Hey, here's a little trick for your pickoff move that I learned from another dude. That's really given me success. Mm -hmm. Here's something I did with my breaking ball that you might like. And I would train guys to take my job. And I would tell guys, my job is to train you to be better than me. Good fucking luck though. Mm -hmm. And even though I got into that season, they didn't know where I was going to be the first tournament of the year. They it's, it's our last game. I haven't thrown yet. And I'm like, fuck dude. Like, and I felt healthy at that time. My fastball wasn't back up yet, but I could throw and I knew my velocity was gaining back through working out and strength. And so they put me in the game. I give up seven singles in a row, all ground ball singles in a row. And I give up like five runs. Not, I don't record an out and they're all earned. So my ERA is infinite. Damn. And so we get done with the weekend and we go to practice the next day and we do a, the pitcher's meeting and we were horrible. We were 0-4 in the, in, the, in the kickoff tournament. And we're supposed to be the best team in the state of California that year. Like top, we're in the top five preseason rank. And so they go, okay, who thinks they threw well this weekend? And I raised my hand. And coach goes, and there's, there's another guy too, Ron Myers, who's fucking incredible. Ron Myers kind of shakes his head and he goes, I just have to hear how a guy who has an infinite ERA 
thinks he pitched well this weekend. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Lane Lee. <laughs> so I go, well, Coach said that pitching is all about doing what you can do and what you're supposed to do. It's about throwing the pitch you're supposed to throw at the spot you're supposed to throw it when you're mm-hmm. told to throw it. And that's it. And if you break it down to that simplicity, I actually didn't miss a single spot. Look at my spot chart from the game. Huh. I didn't miss one fucking spot that was called to pitch what was called. So we track everything and we're very detailed in our yeah, program. Yeah. So what pitch was called and where it was corresponds to where you threw it. And you get a, you get a ranking after that. You get like a variance report, and which we use in our restaurants today. And <laughs> you, get, you see your efficiency rating. My efficiency rating was 100%. So I'm like, every hit I gave up was not hard hit. It was literally, I'm telling you, it's weird. But like all fucking ground ball singles, I did my job. I'm mm-hmm. a ground ball pitcher. I got my ground balls. They just got through today. Mm-hmm. They won't tomorrow. And he was like, you still got to get a fucking out. And I, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, I set my piece. Oh, the my next God. week. Uh, we went in and it just clicked for me. Um, the next week I threw like a complete game shutout against one of the top teams in the country. And from there, um, oh, I had just an, an insane season. I shut out um, Fresno City and the Super Regionals. And uh, it was just finally, it finally came together. And there was literally a time like, I just remember having like bases loaded in the eighth inning on a one to nothing ball game. And and fucking just going for it. Just like literally, I don't care about walking this dude in. Mm-hmm. Like being 3-0 and fucking still fighting. And and uh, I remember after that like game coach coming to me and being like, that is what it feels like to not fear failure. That's right. And being like, yeah. I didn't that was give third a, year? I didn't give you a were, fuck. You were third year then? Yeah. So I ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to pitch at a bunch of schools. Um, I was very concerned about debt at that time, being so poor. And uh, I had, I knew that I was going to get a big chunk from financial aid because I had good grades. And literally, I think my mom's best year of income when I was a kid was $16,000 in a year. Damn. And um, I actually made more money than my mom did when I was in college waiting tables at John Ash while I was playing baseball. And, um, and so I ended up taking a full ride. Um, I had a couple full ride offers, Hilo, Hawaii and Drexel University and a bunch of like you know, kind of partial scholarships to, to great schools all over the country. And I ended up choosing Drexel University in Philly for three reasons. One, um, they stroked my ego, which was like great <laughs> for me at the time, right? Like I was like, yeah, they're telling me I'm the guy. I'm the man. You're going to be our Friday Night Lights, dude. You're a fucking man. So I like needed that uh, at the time, unfortunately. And then, uh, <laughs> and then they had a great academic uh, program. They were rated like top 10 business schools. Uh, so I kind of thought that would be kind of cool to go to a private school like that. And then, uh, and then obviously, uh, the, the money part, I got a full ride to go, to go mm. pitch. I just had to pay for, well, you learn about full ride. They don't, they don't technically pay for your food, uh, on a full ride, which was news to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they don't pay for your clothes when you come from California and then you live on the East coast, <laughs> you learn about those underalls, dude, like real fast, <laughs> like you wear jeans, you literally feel like you're naked, uh, in your underwear on the East coast. So it was, but it was, it was an amazing opportunity. I went out there and, uh, and I went to play ball in Alaska. Um, and when I was out there, they cut the program. Drexel did. Uh, for Drexel, second division one school to cut. It was right before I left. They cut the school because I remember a press conference and I had never met, they hated the baseball program there at the time. And the, the athletic director never introduced himself to anyone. And that was weird for a college program. Usually the AD is like, 
involved with every student, every kid. And I remember walking out of our press conference being like, hey, I'm Jimmy. Nice to meet you finally in the middle of the press conference and walking out um, Mm -hmm. being like my life is over and this guy just fucked me. Um, I went to Alaska. I was playing semi-pro ball out there. And I was supposed to go to University of Arizona where I had three buddies I played with in junior college out there. And Coach Lopez had coached my coach, Damon. And uh, they were like, you know, look, this guy could be a phenomenal lefty-on-lefty guy. He's playing in the Alaska League right now, which is legit. Um, we were doing it on like a – or no, that was that was beforehand. I'm mixing, I'm mixing it up. So we're in. And, uh, and anyway, we're playing ball. And I'm playing with studs. And Point Loma, and I'm literally like, I, I'm like going to U of A, and I get the call that I can't go there because I'm ineligible. I'll be a junior academically and a senior athletically, and so I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, I'm like, my life's over. So I go to play. I'm going to sign a contract to play professionally in the in the uh, Frontier League, and Tom Browning was going to be my coach, mm. and so I sign my contract and I go to fax it. That's how old I am. <laughs> I go to fax the contract and the fax machine is broken. And I'm like telling the guy, I'll call you the next day. I get a phone call from Point Loma Nazarene in San Diego. And they're like, hey, um, we want you to come play for us in Point Loma. We understand that it's August 3rd, but our number one recruit just signed his professional contract on the deadline for July 31st. And we have like a 75% scholarship for you to come and pitch at Point Loma Nazarene. And I'm like, what the fuck is Point Loma Nazarene? <laughs> so I get off the bus and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, where am I going to go? Um, and I'm like, what the fuck is Point Loma and what is NAIA? And the guys are like, dude, Point Loma is legit. Like actually a very good baseball program. And these were friends of mine that were playing at USC and Texas and Arizona and like really legit schools going, this is a legit school. So I call my mom and I'm like, hey, I have an opportunity to finish school I'm torn. Do I sign this pro contract? Do I go and play and finish college? And my mom goes, look, you've been your own man forever. Do what you want to do. But you would be the only person in your family, mom's or dad's side, to graduate from college. And uh, I was like, wow, really? Okay. Um, That kind of stuck with me. Yeah. And so that's why I have my college ring on. That's rad. Um, Because I I just am so proud of being that. That's what... Originally, where you got to San Diego, yeah. and that's how I got to that's how I got to Point Loma Nazarene. I got to Point Loma. I didn't know Nazarene meant uh, Christian University, <laughs> uh, so I got there, no shirt, long hair, beard, and Coach pulls me into the office and he's like, "Yeah, we're going to need you to sign this covenant." And uh, I'm like, "What? What's a covenant?" And I read the <laughs> covenant and uh, earmuffs for my kids out there. Um, <laughs> I'm like, coach, I think I've done everything on this list that in the last month. <laughs> and coach is like, look, this is a new, this is a new opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to change your life. Like, trust me on this. And, uh, and honestly, at that time, I probably needed to settle down a little bit. We were having some fun playing ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it was crazy. Wild, wild times. <laughs> and um, so I was like, you know what? Maybe this would be a good thing. So, man, Point Loma, I started going to, I started going to church like three days a week, which was which was more than I'd gone in my entire life, I think. Um, and it was just an interesting uh, transition in life for me. I would say, like, the biggest thing was just, was I, I, was, I read the Old Testament, I read the New Testament, um, and I'm, like, really glad that I had done that. It was, I'm not 
necessarily Point Loma's poster child on, uh, on, but it, but it, that school changed my life. And that's why I'm so involved with that, um, university today and, and going afterwards. Yeah. And after that, I had chances to play professional baseball. Point Loma, Point Loma was incredible. I said the biggest lesson was I learned, um, that you're only as good as the people who are around you. When I went to Drexel, the Division One school, um, it wasn't quite the caliber that Point Loma Nazarene was. And so you realize you're not that good mm. when you don't have that, that crazy catcher uh, that can drop 500-foot bomb and throw a 1-8 pop mm. or, you know what I mean, like the shortstop that can, um, that can do the backhand across the diamond throw on one leg. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you just all those little things, you start realizing, God, I'm only really as good as the guy's. Mm-hmm. that are around me and mm-hmm. that helped me in business today mm-hmm. too that was another lesson that was huge and i had my opportunity to play professionally and i just i knew that i was i was done i was just plagued with injuries and um i just knew it was time to move on with my life and and i wanted more than what baseball was going to offer i changed so much man mm-hmm. i remember being a being a kid um and and my mom got me a wallet uh, i only got this was like the only christmas present i got my whole life as a kid and I really wanted it. And it was a gift that my mom was like, this seems feasible to get, feasible to get, uh, and reasonable, uh, ask. And so she gets me a wallet. It was like a maroon cloth wallet. And I told her, I like looked her in the eyes. And I'm like, I will wear this wallet until the day I fucking die. And, w- and it doesn't matter how rich and famous I'm going to be and how great of a baseball player I'm going to be. I'm going to wear this wallet. I go to Point Loma, and of all places, my wallet gets stolen at Point Loma Nazareth <laughs> when, I, when I'm playing baseball in the locker. So this last Christmas, my brother gives me this wallet for Christmas, and it's a fucking cloth wallet. That's and I had, so like, the funny. legit, like, wallet my wife got me. Yeah. So my brother got me this wallet for Christmas last year, and he goes, look, I got you this wallet to remind you where you came from, um, but also to remember, like, where you're going, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And fucking, like... The dumbest gift ever. I haven't seen, like, I haven't seen a crying. wall like that like, in a while. I love you, Fred. <laughs> it's got the fucking deal for the change in here. It's got the best Dude, ever. Like, <laughs> and it's cool because I, I, I'm a member at Santa Luz, and, and there's some there's some heavy hitters in that cl- country club. And whenever we pull off to go and play something, I'm always like, let me get my dollars, guys, for the poker game. I get crushed, man. These guys crush me on that damn thing. But it's but it's cool, and it's fun, and... and um, I'm so lucky to have gone through those things to help me get where I'm at today. Yeah, I feel like sports is there's so many translations that come into business. And you, and you said you said something that I feel like is a is a big one for me. And, and I and I guess it's a, in form of a question like how you identify this or how do you even get it um, is when you were saying you were trying to or you, you teach the guys underneath you. You know, you teach the tricks of the trade. You taught them work ethic, all that um, because you were uh, teaching them to replace you. And that's a really hard concept for people to wrap their head around, especially then you get into the workplace. It's really hard. Because they're like, fuck, why would I teach this guy to replace me? Because then if he gets good or, or better than me, then I'm replaced. But I feel like you have to have both the quality to do that and you have to have the quality to be thinking, well, I want to be replaced because mm-hmm. I want to go that's right. here. So how do you, I, I mean, sports is one thing, but now with all your businesses and everything that you're involved in too, is like is, is identifying identifying that. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's, it's a partial, like it's a DNA thing. But it's also, again, like who, who you're around. Other people are, are, are the same way and other people in the office or the workplace are, are doing the same thing and trying to replace themselves. It probably can be something that spreads on. You know? 100%. And it's really about that. Um, it's explaining 
the guy at the top has to explain his whiteboard. And so often the guy at the top is a whiteboard thinker. Mm-hmm. So we're the guy at the top is the guy who's coming in. He's drawing all these visions that he has on that board, right? You, you can't have everyone be the whiteboard person. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that in your org chart and how the flow goes is that there's structure to the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can make sure that you build structure from the whiteboard, there should be a path that grows out as the pyramid expands, mm-hmm. right? And everyone that is in the infancy of that company should be climbing higher and higher as the pyramid grows larger and larger and larger. And my, the, Joey's like the perfect example, right? Like, Joey, it's so hard. It was so hard for Joey to understand, train people to replace you. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched this show, uh, Yellowstone, and it's with like Kevin Costner, and he's like, it's like the fucking mob for Montana or something. But there's something that happened in that show. It's so ridiculous. But the guy is the dad, and he's got his kids, and he's trying to train them to take over, and he thinks he has cancer and is going to die. And so the son that's, like, running the farm, he comes to the deal, and he's like, hey, you should have been at the nonprofit dinner last night. And the son's like, fuck you. I've got to run the farm and work here and be mm-hmm. here. And the Kevin Costner, the actor, he gets pissed off, and he's like, you know, stop fucking working the farm and run the farm. And I literally clipped that, sent it to Joey. And I'm like, dude, that is me talking to you right mm-hmm. now. Like, stop working the fucking farm, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, and start running it. And it that so weird, but that clicked for him mm-hmm. because it's like he needs to be building now. We're growing now. And it's so hard. It was so hard for him to wrap his head around. Fuck, I have to train people to take over. Take over or I can't. Mm-hmm. Or we can't grow. It took a little while for mm-hmm. him to get that because it's weird. It's a but you got to have someone. It's a weird mentality. And I know you're you're a really good communicator and really good, obviously leadership. You got to have someone above you who like there's a, l- a high level of trust that mm-hmm. the person above me even is just bullshitting and isn't just saying hey putting this in my ear to be like now nah, I just made you replaceable so if I want to I can take a guy under you and just quick move you out. There's got to be a level of trust. Yeah. which you know you earn it, and it's also probably in visual them watching you like mm-hmm. I don't know Jim what he's telling me is fucking spot on and that's where it's going which is a combination well you have to have the, you well you have to have the trust but you, you know what i talk to people all the time they'll go and share like a deal and they're like oh, i think i'm gonna go and do this on this what has your boss done to earn your trust have they mm-hmm. given you stock in your company mm-hmm. have they paid you accordingly have they included you on everything that they're doing have they shared the good and the bad conversations like have they really let you in mm-hmm. you know what i mean I think the way to determine that trust and if it's really there is if you really dive deep into that relationship, can you think back and be like, has that person been legit? Like, has that person Mm -hmm. been real? Or have they always been perfect and always been this and always this is the message? Because here's the truth. No one's perfect. And everyone makes mistakes every single day. And it's just about owning up to those and doing that. And I think when you're vulnerable and you're sharing that and you're going through that together that's when you know that that trust is there. And I think that's probably for Joey. Like, I know that he trusted me early on, but I think when it started to click and get there, I think he finally, the trust really kicked in and he knows that like, it's, it's already done where mm-hmm. dude, he could, that guy, that, that number two in the restaurant company could leave tomorrow. He's, 
he keeps his ownership forever because mm-hmm. of that stuff. You know, mm. that's trust. That's like yeah, definitely. You, you can't just talk about trust. Like you gotta, you gotta <clears> earn <throat> trust. You know, you gotta prove that trust within your company and with your employees. I mean, you, you have a very specific work ethic that was instilled in you at a very young age, sure. and you have a strong mentality. You're strong mentally. How do you deal with employees who maybe don't have those specific qualities in them? Yeah, I mean, they're workers, but yep. they're not at the level that you're mm-hmm. at. How, how do you deal with that? That's actually something I'm, I would say I'm still learning because I'm, it blows my mind. I, we recently just went through, hired someone to be a very top position in our company. And I literally went to this person who had never had this, this position before and said, look, I want to give you this position. I know you've never had it before. And I don't really know you, but like, I trust in you. And, I'm, and I, don't, I know we don't know each other that well yet, but I trust in you. Let's, this is your world, okay? Mm-hmm. This is your department. I'm not your boss. You do what you want to do. Build this thing and have trust. And in my head, I'm like, every person is the same. Anyone can be incredible Mm -hmm. as long as someone believes in them and is encouraging and is is loving and like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. nurturing. And that person still left. And you're like, they still like, and I don't know what the fuck. It blows my mind. I'm like, I... And so that to me is all I needed in my life. That's all I ever needed. You trust me mm-hmm. and give me a chance, I will fucking win every single time. I will make mistakes. It may take longer than I thought, mm-hmm. but I'm fucking going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I will figure it out because I'm humble enough and vulnerable enough to know and admit when I've made mistakes and fucked it up. Mm-hmm. It is hard to give that to somebody and still watch them quit. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> and it's because they're not they're not and that's what i have to learn they're not that way and i started focusing and that's why i brought up the question of where do you want to go mm-hmm. because that's kind of become my my number one question if you're going to be a p- person in our company that has a lot of responsibility and um a lot of pressure and a lot of demand the f- we'll talk resume we'll get through all that stuff the final question and the most important question is what do you want out of your life what do you want what matters to you? You always ask that? Always. Now, for sure. I used to, and I wouldn't really put weight into it because I'm like, ah, oh, they're still figuring themselves out or this and that. Nope. If you're going to take this position of leadership in our company, your answer of where do you want to go needs to be the fucking moon. Like, mm-hmm. I want to go to the moon, mm-hmm. and I'm shooting for the stars. And I want to win this award. I want this. I want someone to be audacious and and then I, then now I feel like, okay, now I have someone that if I trust, give them trust and opportunity and encouragement that they're ready and not afraid of success because it's insane, but it's a real thing. People are afraid of success. They're really afraid of failure. Yeah. But they're also they're afraid, afraid of, afraid of mistakes. Is that really something you've dealt with before? No, this is, this is no. new. And you know, what's crazy. So the, so there's really, I would call, there's like four things, five things that I do, right? LDG, my commercial real estate tenant rep firm with Scott Dixon, Barrett Jean, and, uh, and then Nick Garrett is our junior guy. Um, incredible company. We represent over 300 businesses in San Diego. We're one of the top tenant rep firms in real estate negotiation. That business is really, it's like us. You know what I mean? Those are our relationships. That's, that's our energy. That's our time. That's our research. That's our expertise. It's us, mm-hmm. right? You get into LDG commercial real estate investments. That's just really me, Scott, and Barrett. You know, that's just us looking at deals and determining if we want to buy it or not or do it. 
then you get into resident brewing company and you know being founder into that and robert masterson my brother-in-law who we brought bought a homebrew kit for christmas and then turned it into a company like the ultimate american dream story, <laughs> right and then scott dixon and and then brendan and mina and you look at that company and how it started and where we're going that one is like it's your consumer product right so consumers they consume based on trust and so how do you build trust from nothing from a from a homebrew kit mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying that takes like so much time and and it takes conviction in your story but like now resident brewing top 10 brewery in san diego we just won gold for the best ipa in california at the Damn. california conference in los angeles that's insane yeah chasing mosaic it's insane beer so now finally we have that trust and and we're about to take off and when you look at getting there we were never about being a brewery that was going to go and fucking sell for millions of dollars that was never our intention our intention was this is a family owned business that we started in the backyard of my father-in-law's house and garage of my brother-in-law's house that spilled over to my partnership and my real estate company and then the restaurant group uh, mm-hmm. at the time with me and Brendan and building that was just because the mentality and the motivation was just, pr- was here just in the heart. Mm-hmm. So now you get to restaurants <laughs> and every passion and everything that you guys can feel from me and my energy, you, I, I can't have 115 people. How do I make 115 people feel that way? Mm-hmm. That has, that is the people go, what's the hardest part about restaurants? Yeah, you could say customers and you got people who literally know not a thing about food telling you about food and people telling you about wine. They don't know anything about wine. And that part is easy. I can get past that part. That's just emotions. The hard part is, is people running your company that really don't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, like they really don't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. how are they going to go and tell the story about why we are making our enchiladas the way we make our enchiladas at Madero's? Because we don't want to be the restaurant that just crushes it in sauce and drowns our enchiladas in sauce. So we make it more toward the sauce should be an accent to the enchilada. Can that server tell the story like the way that we did and we built it? The answer is yes. It just takes time. Leadership. And so it's leadership. Yeah. yeah, It's spending time with people and and. And that's where I think I made the biggest mistake in our restaurant group was not being, I, I thought I wanted to be the owner in the restaurant group that no one ever knew. And you would go and eat and you would serve someone would wait on you and they wouldn't know who you were. And that's like what I wanted, but that's wrong. And that was a mistake that I made because I have so much passion about food. And I came from Sonoma County and Napa Valley restaurant food culture. Like it's insane up there. You go eat, uh, 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 like top to bottom insane service and just help and knowledge on the menu and your wine list and what you're doing. We're not doing that stuff in San Diego yet, but we're starting to. And I want to help all of the people that work for us do that. Every person who works for me, I'm here to help you on your, to your next job too. Mm-hmm. I know that you're not going to be with me forever, mm-hmm. but what can you get when you're with me that will be with you forever? What is a gift that I can give to you that will stick with you forever. Because when, when I waited at John Ash in Northern California, 
I learned so much from those people and that organization, that service, that was, that was top notch fine dining cuisine in the wine country that was heavily scrutinized every single day. And you had to be a chameleon. When you walked up, you had, there were two questions you were going to ask. Have you been here before? Um, and, and what are we in the mood for tonight? Right. Those two questions are going to tell me everything I need to know about that table. Right. Mm-hmm. And from there, I have to be a chameleon to what that answer was and be the best thing that that table wants. Some tables don't want to talk to me at all. Less is more. Do not talk to me. I have a meeting that's important. I don't want to. You have to like learn that stuff. And so as we get into our group, how do we teach that stuff and show that? And for me to, to be like, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and do that was stupid. I need to be involved and share the stuff that I've come from. Um, because at the end of the day, you can go eat at any restaurant. You can go to the fancy ones. Um, you, you can go to the, you can go to the born and raised and the international smokes where everyone spent millions and millions of dollars on that, on the build outs and all those things. That stuff's great. I go there. I'll Instagram the fucking <laughs> cocktail out of the smoke box. That shit's cool. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do, how beautiful your shit is, how cool all your food is. At the end of the day, if you don't leave with an experience uh, that was, this food was great and I connected with my server and I felt a connection there, uh-huh. you're fucked. Totally. Every restaurant experience should be about going there and literally having a connection and feeling a connection to the place that you went to. It, food's got to be good. Service has to be good. 100%. That is like, you must be excellent. But at the same time, you must connect with that person. And so that's the hardest part. How do you teach everyone? Because I'm naturally that way. If I'm serving, I'm waiting on you. I'm going to know your name by the time you leave. When you're out the door, bye, Tracy. Bye, Tom. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Can everyone be like that? I don't know, but I'm going to fucking try. I think, I think they can. I think they can I'm sure too. you've had a lot of people come in who were in, maybe introverts before. And until you, you can train them all you want. You can get them educated on the menu, your business, the history, you. But like until you say, okay, go serve tables, you won't know. And if they do it over and over and over, I swear behind it. Because I say a couple things. I go, everybody should have to work in a restaurant for a period of time. And everybody, oh. should, everybody should have to go to jail. Because I'm like, both. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll, tell, you you why, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you why. <laughs> One first, Mike. Jail is the easiest when you hear people say, "Oh, you should should see and experience rock bottom." It's the quickest way to see that. Secondly, restaurants is the the most social way. I don't care what other sports, social media, all that. It is the the most social education tool we could use because you have no to doubt. deal with uh, a woman from the suburbs, uh, house husband, uh, degenerate drinker, or whatever, and you have to serve them and connect Anxiety, connect with them, depression, and give them a good experience. It's all there, and they have dude. to walk away and the more valuable of a server or bartender or someone in there is always a person where you say, dude, he or she's got a ton of regulars. Yep. That person is always yep. that you look at you like, they're the fucking rock star. Yep. And then that person almost always, almost always, almost always leaves, like you said, I hope you can go on and do something, leaves and goes and does something fucking better. Yep. They do because now they know how to sit in an interview yep. and sell themselves or connect with guy who's got a job that they fucking want. Um, but I, I mean, I did it all through college, even before college. And I look, I'm like, I, when I look back, my every part of why I'm able to go up and shake a hand to anybody and fire up a conversation comes from that. Yeah. Because there's days where you're like, fuck this guy. And you know, you hear there's been movies now made on the behind the scenes of restaurants and all that. And like a lot of it's true. We look like there's a lot of groveling in the back, like this 
fucking guy is just but you have to go out there and you have to somehow flip it around on yeah, them. Dude. That's 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 one hundred percent translates when you get out into to whatever job you take or the real world or whatever the fuck you're doing. Like it all falls back. And not to get like too hung up on working in a restaurant, but I think everybody should be shoved into that. And it's funny we, I had, we had agree with you more. We had Jeff on here who who owns Everbowl and, and love that guy. And, and I wanted to backtrack because you said about you got a home brewing kit. And it's funny how people don't see where these big brands or like a resident brewing starts, it can be as simple as something like that. And he sat in here and said, me and my wife were in the kitchen just fucking around with acai. And for several batches, because we laughed, all our friends who are survey groups were like, this is this is terrible. This he's is like, even terrible. my wife would be like, dude, this is terrible. And he's a month out from opening his first shop. Yeah. So I look like everybody thinks like, oh, I have to be fucking polished and perfect. I'm like, no, you don't. No. No, you don't. You just you have, have to try. You have, and you have to get started. Yeah. You have to get you have started. To get started. And be like, okay, I'm committed. Take the first step. Yeah. And if, and if you get out and you open doors and now people outside your survey group are like, dude, this sucks. You're going to have those no matter what. No you matter can, what. You can have the best product and you'll still have people say, Jimmy, your beer fucking sucks. sucks. But you're also going to have the people that grow and grow and grow like, dude, this beer is fucking incredible. And That's now right. you won an award. Yep. You know, it's just, we, we like to tune into all the people who are the naysayers and the fucking yelpers and all that. And tune out all the people that are like... Because it strikes our emotional cord more and it makes it more prevalent in our mind, right? It hurts. And so that that sticks to us a little bit more. And that energy, we is negative energy is so fucking powerful. It can just absolutely... It's toxic. It can it can spread and crush uh, dreams and ambition. And uh, and it's it sucks and it's out there. That's why I fucking, I fucking hate Yelp. <laughs> and and um, it is it is insane how people can hide behind. I can't imagine going to like some dude's brand new business and being like, uh, I hate to comment. And I love this because it gets, I hate to comment on someone who's been open a day. Um, but fuck <laughs> you guys and, and everything that you stand for. I just can't imagine like doing that to somebody yeah. and all that you go through to open it up and get this thing going and. Maybe you didn't like it, you know, maybe come back in a month or so. Maybe we haven't quite figured it out. And if you didn't like it, um, you know, there's another way to let us know and, mm -hmm. uh, and help you out. But why like shout from the rooftops? Uh, I just don't fucking get it. Like I literally, um, I'm like, can someone make a fucking Yelp page that's for positive Mm -hmm. things well, only yeah. yelp is for positive too it's i just mean never used that's for the only it. way i use yelp i only it. use yelp to praise people yeah. and, and i i I've, I've told you before i uh i go out of my way to only go to like locally owned mom and pop restaurants and stuff like that because i feel it, it's important for the community and i feel the service and the product that you're buying is always going to be better than if you go you know like coffee i love going to small coffee shops as opposed to starbucks feel the experience and the yeah. product is always going to be better. And if I can go on Yelp and give praise, I'll do it because it's only going to keep getting better. Yeah. Dude, it's, 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 it's that's true. It's a fucking, it, it's a tough one. But you, have, you have to cater to it. Now, you, you know, yeah, I, I have mean, a terrible I, experience. I, I just don't go. Sometimes I can't sleep. I literally just sit there and all I do is just read. <laughs> yeah. kind of like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like back. bad tweets. You know? <laughs> yeah. and you're like, whoever owns this restaurant should drive off a cliff and never come back. <laughs> read mean tweets on Yelp. Uh, it's, I do, I do love the platform of, of sharing. I just I hate the negativity and and it's just you know it's it's a part of life though and it's and it's okay I just it's 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 hard to stomach when you work so hard to do something and 
sometimes they're right. Sometimes mm-hmm. you read it and you're like, dude, you know what? This person's right. And mm-hmm. they make really good points. Um, but sometimes people are like, oh, I went by that place and it looked empty. Fuck that place. One star. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. really, dude? Yeah. Like you didn't even go in the restaurant. It just looks stupid in your opinion. So one star. Yeah. That's insane that I, that's out there. Dude. I feel like for the, neg- the negative feedback too, and I just had this happen a couple weeks ago, is there's a way to voice it and let them know and they can productively uh, fix the problem without publicly people seeing it. And I just, dude, I just had it happen. I, I rarely ever have bad service enough that I get to this point. And I didn't even get a chance to get service, but I went to a recommended Mexican restaurant in North Park. Recommended months ago. I'm like, I gotta go, gotta go. Me and a friend went over there. And I walk in, sit down in the back, really cool place. Um, so excited. I rarely ever go to North, North Park. Went there just for this, to try this Mexican place. And the the guy serving the back patio comes up and he's like, hey, how you guys doing? He's like, can I get your IDs? Um, I'm like, yeah, sure, here. And my IDs, my IDs expired. And I didn't bring my passport of all, of all places. I haven't been asked for an ID in a while. And uh, it was the sharpest, like he looked. And like most people at that level, they just look to make sure the date. And he actually saw the experience. He's like, I can't serve you, you guys got to go. Like, I don't remember the exact verbatim, but it was enough. I'm like, I think the guy's fucking with me. And I, I like cracked a smile and he wasn't fucking with me. And he just put it back down. He's like, the, the door, the exit's that way. And walked and I look at my friend. I'm like, wait, is he just dry sense of humor? Is he fucking with us? <laughs> it, was, it was that sharp. What is happening right It was now? that sharp. And I look, I'm like, okay, I didn't know a restaurant was 21 and up. It's in a family neighborhood. Like, it's 21 up just to eat here too, even if I said I don't want to. And so I look at my friend. I'm like, well, I, don't, I haven't been to North Park. Where, where do we want to go now? And uh, we barely got a couple, like we're still sitting at the table figuring out. I'm on my phone, like Googling what's in the neighborhood. And he comes back around. He's like, hey, guys, you can be anywhere but here. Like there's an exit that way. And he tells me another, and there's an exit that way. And I look, I'm like, okay, I got to take a good look at this dude. Did I do something in the past? Like, do we have a history? What like, the fuck? I've had to have some of this guy's girlfriend I, or something. I, I, <laughs> did, I didn't even get enough of like, there wasn't even enough because it was, hello, can I get your IDs? It wasn't even enough exchange for him to be like, I don't like this fucking guy. And so every part of me had that, like, do you yelp it? Come out. I'm like, no, fuck that. So on the way out, I, I go to the front bar. I'm like, yo, who's the manager here? I'm like, hey, I don't yelp. I don't do this. I rarely even do what I'm doing right now. Guy back there, I get I have an expired ID, was just the fucking rudest dude in the world. And I'm like, we came here. We sought you guys out. We don't live in North Park. We came here. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to call me tomorrow and fucking comp me anything, which is right. what my, most, most people yelp negative because they know, oh, the general manager is going to call me. Which I do. Offer me fucking a, you have it. to. I have Because to. then you delete the Need post. Need that shit off, dude. And now like, your star ranking goes up. But I said, I'm like, I'm not going to come back. I just want to leave it in somebody's hands. He might be a fucking owner. I don't know. But that's the worst shit I've ever seen. And, just, and he, he gave me the, the, the nice apology. But I look, I'm like, I couldn't imagine now going on, going home and berating fucking publicly. Because now, like, you're going to affect the entire company yeah. because of that one dude. Yeah. Like, that's what I hate, too, is that you're going to have, you know, we're going to hire people who are fucking not good and should not be in restaurants. And it's, we're going to make the mistake from time to time. But, like, you're going to crush me on that, the company, mm-hmm. because I made a, a bad hire. Mm-hmm. Like, I kudos to you for doing that because like for me i'm like i wish there was a platform that was positive only because the ones that are really good they're gonna shake out they're gonna mm-hmm. be like dude this one has a shitload of positive reviews mm-hmm. like what do we need the negative component for it like the positive ones are gonna do that there should be a way for you to comment to that person and say like hey this is going on in your spot i agree that people should be able to reach out in that form in that way but to give just a platform for any type of personality to just absolutely crush you 
Um, it's just I don't I hate that. I hate hey, that. I, and I have like a conspir- nice, nice I have a job, conspiracy dude. theory about Yelp too. I'm like they know that too. Yeah, and they know restaurant operators live and die because people review where they're going on Yelp so much, especially where the touristy city. So I feel like they've built their their uh, coding or system because you know like how how reviews get filtered off if you're not a, a gold star or active Yelper and all that shit. I'm like they do it. So you as a restaurant like. I'm going to pay your advertising fees. I'm going to pay this. I'm going to do that. And you keep, you keep feeding their fucking monster. Cause they're huge, huge. Man. They're it's huge. like the Anthony Bourdain, like a Yelp elite, like jumbo shrimp or, or like legalized extortion. And you know, I don't know. I think, I think uh, it's just to me, Hey, it's just one of those things that is what it is. And we, we deal with it, but it's, it is something that I stay up at night sometimes and I read them and just, <laughs> they're luckily like we're, like all of them after a while goes by, it's always in the beginning, like mm-hmm. in your first week opening, people just love crushing you in that first week. Have you ever yourself responded? I, every, single, shit. I, every single one I respond to. Oh, in, in the, the positive way? Or I'm always do you ever, positive. Do you ever, do you, have you ever gone on and been like, all right, I'm going to fucking light this no, guy up? Never. Never? Joe, <laughs> Joey does. I had, to, I had to revoke Joey's Yelp. Yelp uh, uh, I had to revoke Joey's Yelp privileges because Joey fucking goes nuts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um Cause like, and he's, he's pretty funny, but it's like part of the, the I've never been, I've never been negative. I just can't dude. Like mm-hmm. I, to me, I'm like, you're mad at your dad, not me. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, is that big daddy? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Adam an Adam Sandler, Sandler for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that to me, I just keep it positive. Always. I always say, uh, Hey, I, I, there was one guy I was like, Hey, I will personally, meet with you there and buy you drinks and get to know you better. And, and if you'd like, you know, let me know on one, cause it was pretty gnarly. And I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll meet you. And I'd mm-hmm. love to talk to you. He was kind of being like, this place sucks. I'd love to meet the owner and tell him what a piece of shit he is. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, in reality, like I hear, like, obviously it was really bad. That's concerning. Like I legit would, would like to, to make it right. And would be happy to meet with you for a drink or dinner and, and help you out. And he, and he was like, Nope, one time's all I need to know a place sucks. And I was like, wow, that's an Fuck. interesting way to look at life. That's crazy. That's an interesting way. So you got, and this is where it comes in the first thing I said, where I feel like you got a twin brother I don't know about. You have the commercial real estate company. You got resident brewing. You got the restaurant group. Um, <clears throat> the commercial investment group. You're a dad and a husband, which is fucking, you got to throw that category Hell in. Yeah. I know you're I do, with, I do drop off almost every morning. Uh, yeah, I know you're in the big brother, I do brother, volleyball every too. Wednesday. I coach the Little League. Yeah, and, and you you sit on the board or you're with I'm Big Brother? I'm on the board of directors for Big mm-hmm. Brothers Big Sisters. So how does this... I'm on the board for the uh, Seal Future uh, Fund. Uh, or They're like more, it's like a committee for that, but um, very involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm on the um, head of the alumni uh, uh, kind of baseball programs for Santa Rosa Junior College. And then, and then we're building the one for Point Loma Nazarene. And then mm-hmm. I'm on the board for the downtown partnership uh, oh, that's right. as well. Fuck. So who do you have someone manage your schedule? Or are yeah, you? Carrie. Really? Thank you, Carrie, for being <laughs> in my life. <laughs> what I mean, you you got to give her some sort of guidance, like, hey, don't put me here, don't do that. Like, how does how does yeah, that work with takes, all that shit? It takes a little time. Uh, I'm really bad at saying. So I have a policy where I never say no to anybody. Like, so if someone wants to meet remember with me, that too, yeah, good to uh, remember that. <laughs> I always take a meeting. Now, um, it's getting a little crazy. So sometimes, like, say there's a kid in college and he wants to meet with me. I will make that kid come with me to like lunch. Like if I'm already doing lunch with a bunch of guys and then it's loose, I'll be like, come to that. 
or if there's a bunch of younger kids, I'll make them all meet me at one time. And then I can talk oh, with cool. eight of them yeah. at once. Um, Do you get that a lot? A lot of like college Yeah, because I speak at Point Loma Nazarene and San Diego uh, okay. State and US. And I always put my personal cell and my uh, email, my personal email up there, which they all go to the same spot. Because I want to be there. Like you have to remember, I would be nowhere unless it were for people that went out of their way to help me out. Yeah. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. Youth baseball couldn't pay to play travel ball. The coach, Kurt Lewis, freaking paid for my travel ball the entire time. Damn. High school basketball, you had to buy new shoes. The school somehow paid for my basketball shoes my whole life. Damn. And like I would then go, dude, whatever it was, like, because we I was helping pay rent sometimes, like, or or like I bought my own car, paid my own gas, my own like we didn't have my own pager bill. Um, Age okay. yourself uh, again, right uh, there, yeah, man. Exactly. You use the facts and a pager reference in the same. Pot- <laughs> Damn it. I'm 38. Damn it. All right. <laughs> um, but um, constantly people coming out of their way to help me out. I kind of feel like it's just an obligation in life. Like I have to be this type of person. Like I literally, it kind of freaks people out sometimes. Like you'll meet and I'll be like, well, if you ever want to talk about where you're going in your life or your resume or you need help with anything, I'm like here. And they're like, like, it, like that dude would be like, did that, did that dude just hit on me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I'm down to help you out, bro. God. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. Like, I am. I just want to be that way because I think I know that without that, um, fuck, I'd be. There was, it could, I could be like such a loser. So e- I could have been such a loser so easily. Mm-hmm. So easily. And just, I'm just so lucky. I'm lucky I'm 6'6 six, six and left handed. I mean, Dude, that plays a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was, Jermaine dies, a really good friend of mine, and we had this argument the other day because I'm like, Jermaine, at the end of the day, you and I are fucking huge. It has a, a huge edge on us being able to play yeah. sports yeah. at a high level. And Jermaine was like, fuck that, dude. I worked my ass off. I worked my ass off. And I think back to it, and I'm like, I did too. Mm-hmm. I, like, if there was a workout program it's at the for the for the pitchers, I would double it. I took swim because I needed, like, I needed an elective. And I was like, I wanted to work out. So I could have done fucking art or mm-hmm. bullshit like all my homies did. But I did swim class so that I could gain strength. And, and I took it with the actual swim coach from the college. Mm-hmm. And so that I could gain strength and do it as a workout routine for myself. And so that was just shit that I did that was a little bit different from everyone else. Like if totally. the, whatever the workout was, I was doubling it. Mm-hmm. When I ride the Peloton, I try and go about 10 to 15 over whatever – the instructor is doing like hmm. I just mentally I'm like trying I'm not trying to go with that I'm trying to go with what can I handle in my mind and in my heart and uh, you know I know the question is how do you do all this shit right mm-hmm. the answer is I bring people in who are smarter and better at certain things than I am that for that position when you look at the real estate company Scott Dixon is one of the smartest minds when it comes to legal contracts and commercial real estate. Barrett is one of the hardest working guys and he's also charismatic. So it's really rare to be like, like in real estate and have it all. Mm-hmm. Barrett is like hardworking, but he's also very intelligent, mm-hmm. but he's also like social and fun. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of rare to have like kind of all of those things. Um, and so Barrett is like, to me, the next kind of like, he's kind of the face of the company now, you mm-hmm. know, like all of my clients, a lot, most of them 
are dealing with Barrett, talking to Barrett most totally. of the time. Yeah. Um, because, and I'm still involved. We still work on every single deal, but they're just they're going to get through to Barrett a lot easier than, mm -hmm. than they may with me with all the stuff going on. Um, when the, with the brewery, you got Craig and Rob and Scott, um, uh, and now we've hired a consultant to help us get into the canning and distribution market so we can get our beer all across California and the West Coast, um, Arizona too. And um, there's people, yeah. you know, that are, are helping me be better. Carrie, my assistant, who's really, I, I hate calling her an assistant because she's literally like manager of my life. Like <laughs> it's, it's not per, like it's, it's, she can handle every business. She's got a legal background, um, but she's got a marketing uh, piece to her. And she also can like help me with some bullshit and go to Costco or something if I need her to go mm -hmm. and do some stuff. So without Carrie, I would die. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think, and then, and then, uh, and then obviously the restaurants and Joey and what he does. And then my brother, Fred, uh, my brother owns one of the largest restaurant consulting firms in the country, country called um, restaurant systems pro. And like, they all are there to help. And I think, so you circle all those things, right? Home is, the most. I mean, you look at like who you wanted to be and who you didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, I wanted to be a great fucking dad. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to look at my kids at eight and five and go, how do you walk away from that? How do you just like literally mm -hmm. go, I'm never going to see you again? Because it's a similar age to my brother and I. Yeah. That is to me, like, to me, it's like darker than I even want to know. To be able to do that, you must have been such a, such a piece of shit mm -hmm. that you're like, it's easier for me to just not be around, you know? Definitely. And so that's hard to be like, yeah, that's your, that's your dad. And so when I look at it and you go, um, these are my kids and how I want to be. Um, and then you think about my wife, like there's no way I'm not an easy guy to be married to. And it's hard to go out to dinner on date night and run into someone, you know, every single time. Um, and she is such a trooper and she's a fucking beast. Like, COO of CBRE, largest real estate company in San Diego, running a $105 million budget. Damn. She's an animal, dude. Like, and so she does that, but she also runs like our home. Like if we, like, like the other the morning, this morning, she's like, okay, you got to drop off all these things to the kindergarten. I'm like, what are these? She's like, these are the books I was stapling when we were at gymnastics with the kids. So she's like building the books for the oh, kindergarten class while we're at gymnastics, just constantly yeah. going and doing. And she goes, oh, today is college. They have to wear their college shirt today. How the fuck, dude? I would get the same emails. And I think just because I know that she's on it, I'm just like, scroll. Like, <laughs> delete. <laughs> Mama's got it, dude. And uh, so we, I'll tell you what, like, definitely we're rare and weird. We're throwing our first um, party for the elementary school, Sunset Hills. We're doing it at Madero's on November 10th. That's cool. And we're, like, buying tickets. And you got to buy tickets to go. And I'll donate fucking almost everything except for my cost of labor we're going to get a sponsor for and the school's like they've never done this before and they're looking at me like you sure we can do this and i'm like oh yeah i do this all the time like it's no big deal and they're like no no no. are you sure we can like do a fundraiser <laughs> like this like 250 people i'm like how many kids go to the school they're like we have 380 parents uh sets of parents and i'm like oh easy i'm like if we were short I'll send the beak the bat signal out to the homies. We'll make sure we get the thing filled. But they're looking at my wife and I like we're fucking insane. Like, what is wrong with you guys? They love it, mm -hmm. but they're like, you guys, this is weird. Like, totally, you have enough going on. But I think it's just something for me that I think there were many 
times where you didn't have a lot going on or, or you did, but it was shit you didn't really want to do. So now to have this as like your problem is fucking amazing. No, totally. It's great. So if someone flipped it on you right now, because yeah. I wanted to do it toward, towards the end, and I, I think we're kind of getting there. If someone flipped that question, you said you ask everybody who, who you're interviewing and hiring, and they, and they ask that to you. Was, yeah. What do you want to do with your life? Oh, I, yeah. What's your... That's my bread and butter, dude. Yeah, what's your, what's your answer <laughs> yeah. to it? So, or are um, you doing it, maybe? No, like I, it's, so uh, it's, a long, it's a long question kind of for me. But the, the first part is, for me, I was very lucky um, um, to have a, a business coach that I connected with that really hit some strings on me. And he's a big Simon Sinek, like power of why mm-hmm. type guy. So he was asking me like to describe... I had to write this list. I had to describe what my house looked like when I was 80 years old. I'm healthy. And I had to go from January to December and walk through what my life looked like as a healthy 80-year-old, right? And then he made me get really descriptive. How big is your house? What are the views? What does it look like? And he was doing those things because our subconscious is telling you who we are when you answer all these questions. And you're traveling. Your house is this way. You're Look, this is this way. Your kids are this way. Thanksgiving looks like this. Christmas looks like this. Fourth of July looks like this. So he starts narrowing it down. Why do you care about your family at all? Like, why do you care if your family all comes to your house at Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. Why do you care that Christmas and Thanksgiving is at your house? So all these things spill into leadership, uh, family, uh, drive. And they're, they're questions that you take those answers and you remove and and whittle down the psychology behind that and then the power why kind of comes in like like okay but why do you really care if you're a good dad right Mm -hmm. so then you start talking well because i i didn't really i don't know like i didn't have my dad and like you're like telling this guy shit you don't really want to talk to him about and you start diving into who you are when you're like a kid when you're 13 and 14 years old because we start to manifest who we are at that age. We're starting to pick things that we know we want to be exactly like or we don't want to be like that. And that stuff sits in our heart and all the decisions that we make are, are really a result of this thing in here. And the problem is we get away from it and we forget where that manifestation comes from. Mm-hmm. And unless something tragic in your life happens, like it's typically from when you're a kid and you're starting to become an adult, and so you have to get honest with that stuff because that is really the answer of where you want to go. And so for me, I have found out and learned through that exercise that I'm, I'm insanely legacy driven. It is like a fact in life that I will die having done something that lives forever. Mm. And, and, and I could die tomorrow and, I, and I, it would be a travesty because I don't feel like I've done everything that I've wanted to do that will live forever it's possible yeah if my kids take over and do something you know what i mean if joey steps up or my brother steps up scott and, and everyone steps up but i don't feel like i'm i'm quite there yet and it is an absolute must for me that when i die i've done something that is impactful that lives forever now what's crazy is and this is another kind of speech that i give which is it's about your canvas in your life right if i give you a blank piece of paper and i tell you to paint uh, a view of something that is pretty that you would want to hang on your wall. For me, mine would be like tropical, right? I've always had this in, in fascination with like white sandy beaches and palm trees and blue skies and crazy crystal clear water. That would be like the picture that I paint. And so someone gives me the paintbrush and they give me black and white. And I'm like, 
fuck. Okay. So I start painting that and then they add green and blue and red and whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. By the time I finish my painting, it's not going to look like the way that my mind said the painting was going to be when I started it. But the whole point of the fucking exercise is that you have to start the painting. Mm -hmm. You have to have like an idea. So the hardest part for people is that first step, right? The first step is really hard because they don't know where the fuck they're going. Mm-hmm. So if you can, in your mind, like really start to hone in on where you want to go and take that first step, it is going to be nowhere near what you thought it was going to be. But the point is that you took the first step. So in my life, I remember when I was 24 and I wrote my first business, 25 and I wrote my first business plan. I, when I was 60 years old, wanted to join Santa Luz Country Club. I wanted to own a home that was worth um, a million dollars. I wanted to be debt free. Um, um, I wanted to personally be debt free and free and clear of like obligations and things Mm -hmm. at 36. I did what I thought success looked like to me when I was 25, joined Santa Luz, had a million dollar home, Mm -hmm. no personal debt. So now like, where do you go? Yeah, that was my question. Yeah. So it keeps ramping up. Mm -hmm. So my goals now are fucking audacious. They're flat out rude. And, and, almost, <laughs> and, and almost uncomfortable to tell people because, because it's, I don't really care about them. Like I, it's, real, it's, for, it's for me. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is that I want to do, I want to have profound impact on a global level. Mm. I want to do things that will be of benefit to our society and will live forever. And I want to do it through philanthropy. I want to be, I want to be someone that dies having not really worried about how, what, what my nest egg is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's all, I can't take it with me. I want to do shit. That's like helping and doing things yeah. of substance that live and go on. Was it originally that way? I think it was there. I don't think I knew how to define that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I knew how to. I never cared about being rich. Like, I don't want to be rich. I, I live in a very modest community. I could push it and go and live in, in the gates and, and stress myself out. But I, I don't care about that shit. I yeah. would rather, I drive a Ford. Like, um, I don't care about that shit. Like, there will be a time when I buy a stupid car <laughs> just because it's like, it's, it just doesn't matter. It's fine and it's fun. And you're allowed to, to have fun. But I'm still in fucking grind mode. Like, mm-hmm. I'm 38. Um, and a lot of people are like, why don't you chill out? And I'm like, I'm 38, man. I got at least another five to ten years of grind in mm-hmm. me. At least, if mm-hmm. not more. Yeah. And frankly, I want to die working on something. Working on a deal. And, uh, and trying to do something of impact. But your, your, your grind, too, as you get older and more successful, it, that, the definition grind changes, too. Oh, yeah. You know, where the grind before was literally washing dishes and doing all that to where it is now. It's, it's the same mentality, you know, for sure. And I think for me, like I'm still in grind mode though. Like it's like, we're opening a new restaurant and people are like, fuck you. I hate this place. Like, and you're like, okay, how do we change it? How do we make it better? What are we, what are we missing? And, and I finally got to a spot on California native is a good example of we went in, we bought the old Rimmels. We loved the Rimmels concept had a lot of respect for them. Just couldn't gel with the, the existing ownership and figure out a way to keep that name going on forever. So we had to change the name. And really what we wanted to do was take what they had done with their rotisserie and all this stuff and, and enhance it and make it just a little bit better. And so we did that. And I thought it was like, Hey, flip it quick and then let people know that we're still just as good and same. Mm -hmm. And that was when I learned a lot about the trust and, 
it's not about the food is literally on, like very similar and people are fucking pissed because it's just not the place that they were going to before. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot on that because goddamn people want a connection. And in a world where connectivity is less and less and less and less and less to provide that is even more and more important. And I think I missed that. I mean, I know I missed that in the mm-hmm. beginning and now we've revamped that and refined that. But that shit's stressful. Mm-hmm. I've built out our office building. We're building out Woku and PB. Now we got this. Shit, it's a grind, dude. Like how's, it, it's how's the PB one coming? Amazing. I'm heading there after this. Nice. Uh, we should get the keys and permit, health permit passed on today. That's one right there on Ingram, right? Yep. Right Ground across point. from Rockies. And that's going to be Woku? Woku. Yep. Hell Woku. yeah. Ramen uh, and Yakitori. And um, they're doing a really cool cocktail program. Um, with sake and uh they've got a bunch of kombucha stuff going on there too and mm-hmm. obviously craft beer so i'm excited about that i'm excited about i actually really like restaurants uh people are like fucking why i really love it because to me to be successful in a restaurant you got to have like 16 components mm-hmm. of expertise and it's a pretty low point of entry so a lot of people go in and they're like we'll just figure it out that is fucking crazy, man. Yeah. And the more that we get going on it and become successful, it's a shame that in California we make it tougher on 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 restaurants, which is a $27 trillion industry in our country. And in California, we make it pretty tough on restaurants, which is disappointing because I think New York, Chicago, uh, California, Napa, San Francisco, like these are some of the culinary like epicenters. Mm-hmm. And in our own backyard, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tighten the screws on restaurants. It is a little disappointing, but um, when there's a will, there's a way. I think what sucks though is it's making it harder for the one-off entrepreneur to make it in restaurants. It's like so hard. I don't know how you do it. You gotta like have this team and mm-hmm. all the shit that we're doing is insane. Like mm-hmm. we have a lot of expertise and insane expertise. I would challenge our restaurant operating systems um, and the software that we use against any restaurant group in the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, dude, you can go Catterton, you can go Carp Riley, you can go the biggest in our country. And I would go toe to toe with them on our restaurant systems against theirs. Mm-hmm. And I just think what we're doing is better than see to it, which everyone falls to. And, uh, and I'm proud of that stuff. And I, and, and that's just one component of 16 though. No, totally. I, I feel like the, cause we work a lot with, with restaurants here as clients is, is one of the common denominators I see in where failure happens is when it's an operator or the one-off guy or girl um, who's never done it before. Yeah. Um, and there's something to be said. There's a lot to be said about making all the mistakes before it was on your dime or on you were on the dotted line. Yep. That when I meet someone, and we've had it happen several times, and unfortunately it always seems to be the case that that's how it, it ends up for them, they come from no restaurant background. Yeah. I look and like you want to tell them, be like, dude, yeah, you got a great space and concepts, okay. I look at my go fucking do it on someone else's dime and learn, learn all that shit. Um, because it definitely is, is what I've seen the most valuable piece you can bring into it or bring on a consultant, another, another yeah. group, you know, which is a, a humbling move for them to make that a lot of the one, the one up one off guys, they won't do that. In the they don't often want to do it, especially if yeah. it's a chef. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Hey, you need a front of the house chef and mm-hmm. software and all these things. And we just hired a chef that was, he was out international smoke, ridiculous resume, like help them, build and blow up and he comes to us i'm like why the fuck would you want to come to us and he's like honestly i could go and start my own thing and build my own company but why would i do that when i can go and help you be so much better Mm -hmm. and now i can latch on 
and we can do this thing together. And I'm jumping on early enough with you that if we grow something big, I get to be a totally. part of that. And I'm yeah. like, fuck yeah, you do. Yeah. Like, I'm all about sharing. I'm you as a leader of a company, you know, you're eating last. Mm-hmm. You better, if that, if you don't know that, if you're out going, what you want to do something great, you're eating last. I hope you know that mm-hmm. that's the deal. Mm-hmm. And if you're not up for that, then do something different because that's, don't be a leader. Yeah. Cause that's the deal. Totally. So is there, is there one thing right now, like one specific thing, there might be a lot of things that you are the most like fired up when you wake up aside from, yeah. cause I saw the golf simulators in your office, <laughs> which is going to be our last ask. Oh he's walking distance too. And he's that's now got amazing. a golf simulator. You you guys see and, and I it's walked ridiculous. off his face when it was just concrete and he, he, you casually like, Oh, that's going to be Barrett's office. That's that. Yeah. And you just like glazed over. Like, and that's a golf, golf simulator. simulator. I look, I'm like, hold on back up. Whoa, whoa, that's a whoa, fucking whoa. what? Yeah. And now it's live up and running. Cause I see your stories insane, that you're in bro. there. Yeah. It's insane. Is there, um, one, is there one specific thing though, even outside of that, that yeah. you're most fired up? I'm most fired up about um, uh, Empress right now because it's been the most challenging thing that I've ever done. I've never had so many people doubt me in my life. Empress is the restaurant group. It's the restaurant yeah. group, yeah. I've never had so many people doubt me in my life. Like looking at this and just not believing in me and literally feeling like, yeah, I don't know if you can do this. And, and they don't say it to your face. Mm-hmm. They say it in their body language, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's been one of those things that was harder than I thought it would be. Um, I've made way more mistakes than I thought that I uh, would have made. And, um, but I love that. I actually love making mistakes. I try and do something new every year that I'm bad at. This year's surfing. Um, and my year's almost up and I still suck at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> might have to be two year goal. But, um, <laughs> but I love making mistakes because that's when you're growing, right? I'm not afraid of making mistakes because they're just mistakes mm-hmm. and nothing's a mistake forever unless it can't be fixed, which is an Ernie Hahn quote um, that Ernie, Ernie shares with me. But I, I love that because there's so many things to be good at. And I look at the opportunity because when you look at like how detailed we want to be, I, I want Ritz Carlton service in a casual restaurant. Why mm-hmm. can't you have that? If you go to In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A, if, if you guys go, just take a look at their energy and what they do. 100%. It's insane. I know. I know. Why? Like how they do that is, is amazing. And, and they got you, a, and they got a bomb product too. And they got a bomb product. Yeah. And when you look at that and what they're doing, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do that in boutique restaurants in San Diego. And frankly, a lot of people don't focus on that here in San Diego. And so we're really focused on that. We're also focused on connecting with the community, charities, donating. Um, so you have checklists for every server. You've got, there's so much detail, yeah. man. Yeah. When we choose a location on our on our real estate stuff, it's like we're looking at traffic counts, density, ethnicity, age, income, sales per foot on publicly traded companies within a mile. We're looking at parking Damn. ratio, frontage ratio, seats per thousand ratios. Um, we're running models to determine sales per foot uh, success against the SWOT analysis. Like, Damn. there's insane detail yeah. that goes into what we do when we do something. And then you got to have great fucking product. You have amazing service because the competition's thick. You got people spending millions on places that's like moths to a flame. Mm-hmm. So how do you draw those 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 away from that flame and that shiny new star over to your spot because you care more? Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge, and I fucking love it, dude. Because it wakes me up, and, and it is just it's just a challenge. Totally, and it's just energy, and uh, 
if you want to challenge me on energy, we can fucking, we can go for it. I'm not. And so, and so uh, that's what I get. That's what I get most fired up. Then, and of course, uh, us finishing our office space. Uh, that's another deal that everyone just told me would never get done. And uh, I got told no probably, I don't know, 70 times before, um, before I got a yes. Mm. And, uh, and it's just fucking part of the. It's not a grind when it's a way of life is kind of mm-hmm. how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a way of life. Like, your office is also looking right down on the brewery. And like, it's, it's fun. It's location's cool. prime. It's prime, man. <laughs> it's prime. It's, it's crazy. On 4th and C, we got the golf simulator in there. Uh, and we've made it a space that is built for connection. People are like, why are you even working out of here? We're like, yes, we're working out of here. I can work out of anywhere. I worked out of the local for the last six months because mm-hmm. our office space was getting built. The point of it is it's bringing people together and creating something that brings people together because we're in a world that connectivity is going away. We're not connecting like we used to. And we connect through you know, our phones. And, and that, that's there. It's a way of life. But we have to, as a company, figure out a way to connect in a different way mm-hmm. because that's great, but you also have to connect personally. So we built a space that we could do events in that was like fun. You play, you, you get on the full swings golf simulator. Um, and it's just different. It's different energy. Mm-hmm. And to me, we did that because we want to build something that we have, we can connect with people, totally. uh, you know, not just. And a, there's somewhat like a level of excitement for people coming to the office. For sure. Yeah, you got to have a little excitement. Otherwise oh. it's just the same old. I'm getting texts every single day. Like I told the guys first few weeks is going to, we may not get that much done because everyone, <laughs> everyone wants to see it, and that's what it's there for. So we're like, yes, come on in and do it. Pretty soon, I hope people are comfortable enough. You come in, my door shut, have fun, do your thing, mm-hmm. grab a beer, hit the sim, whatever you want to do, grab on the couch, play the Xbox, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. do it. Door shut, I'm in the office. I'm, I'm getting some shit done right now. I love it. Yeah. So we'll have you guys over as soon as possible. Like after this, scooter over, whatever you want. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. I think this podcast we probably asked the least amount of questions, but the story was incredible. I think, arguably, we probably got the most knowledge yeah, out yeah, of you definitely. than we did anybody else. I'm going, over man. here just sitting taking mental notes, man. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And, Appreciate and I, it. I feel man. like too, uh, it's no discredit to anybody else, but your your story, like uh, in the weeds and what we dug into most here, is unique and. Uh, and probably why it just was, we, mm-hmm. we, we were kind of all eyes and ears listening to the story, uniquely different than anybody we've had on so far, which is a good segue into the, the final question we always we try to end on is, if there's people out there listening who are who are in the weeds, yeah. and, and, and we always say too, like we're still in the weeds now, you know, yeah. the grind doesn't stop, but someone who might be starting their first business, might be going to, uh, to their first college, to, to school, um, back in those days, like what is the advice you could give to someone who is currently sitting in like the thick that you've been yeah. definitely over your head in um, that you would give them? Well, I think the the first thing I tell everybody is to really identify with who they are as a person, because what I've the biggest mistake that I've seen is is uh, it, it's getting it's, it's hard because I'm older now. Right. So you have friends that that are like looking at their life and going, what the fuck did I do? Why did I take this corporate job? and go and do these things. And they're not living what they was true to their heart. Mom and dad were telling them to get a job after college. I paid for your college. Fuck you, get a job, you know? And, and they're like, they go and do it. And years go by and they got kids and all of a sudden they feel stuck. I can't quit my job now because then I can't pay for my kids dance lessons and volleyball lessons. And then 
you're 60 years old, your kids are gone, and you're like, what the fuck did I just do with my life? Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's the answer. One, it's never too late to, to kick it in gear and find out what it is. But the first thing that every person must do is understand who they are, right? Where do you want to go in your life? And why? Like, where does that why come from? What, what is exciting? And, do, and once you know that, then you can start lining yourself up with, with career path that allows you to be who you are. Because at the end of the day, once you find that job that is who you are, it doesn't matter how pissed your mom or dad are, or your cousins or your uncles are you for, for running a podcast. You're like, what the mm-hmm. fuck are you doing running a podcast? Mm-hmm. You're so smart. You should be doing whatever. You, there's an, an underlying passion that you're like, I want to connect with people. Like I want to, I want to spread knowledge mm-hmm. and connectivity and across an insane level. Mm-hmm. This is going to help me get there. Mm-hmm. And that's for, that's your dream. That's not their dream. It doesn't matter what they're, what they say and what they do. Because once you find that it's, they're no longer, it's no longer a grind. You're just doing what you're going to do. Then if you know, and you feel you're doing something that allows you to be yourself, you can't be frivolous. You have to, you have to, you have to hold that cup of water. You know what I'm saying? You can't squeeze that shit. You can't squeeze that shit out. You have to nurture that cup of water in your hand and you have to be smart and very fucking safe with that because it's fucking jungle out there. Mm -hmm. And if you get crazy because your excitement and you're passionate, passion is fucking great. I have a lot of it. Don't fucking underestimate that we go into shit very methodically. We Mm -hmm. are very, very smart when we go into things. We still hit bumps in our road and we still make mistakes, but we are very thoughtful on everything that we do. We go in with a business plan. We go in with a budget. We go in with a timeline. We go in with a mission, a vision, value, goals, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, budget. And we're monitoring that shit on a daily basis mm-hmm. so that your dream can actually become a reality. Because making it just on heart alone, is that shit's pretty tough now. You can do totally. it, but it's rare. You got to have heart and you got to be smart. That kind of that run, that was like a, like a <laughs> quote on the podcast. No, I, I dig it. And I think where you started with it too was like the, the parents' advice is always like money first, money first, which you can't fault them because, yeah, no, because they want you they to might succeed. Be in debt, you might, um, and where we like, and, and we, I mean, we're 10 years now in business. We started a few different companies. And at first, you do have to think money first, money first because you got to pay bills and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm not getting a check on the first and 15th. So it's a, it's a weird transitioning that takes a while to wrap your head around. But with something like this, and, and we talked off off camera before about like advertiser dollars and this and that um that's like so far down the road thinking wise for me um because i think the primary on this was exactly what you described is i couldn't i couldn't call or email you and be like hey jimmy you want to grab a beer and uh and talk about your childhood and other shit it'd be fucking weird but i'd be like hey "Hey, jimmy you know like uh, this is what our concept is and in the weeds and like the struggle and stuff um that we we kind of laid out to you um, you want to come on the show. And for me, that was the opportunity to sit across from guys because it's the same response. If, if some of the guys we've had on here called me and were like, hey, Pete, I just want to, you know, like really talk, have a heart to heart. And we are like, yeah, maybe like w- when we can find time. But this has been the opportunity to hear everybody's story because I'm like overly and, 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 and Alan said it, I'm overly infatuated with how people I'm obviously impressed with how they are right now, but I'm overly infatuated with how they got to where they are now. And I don't think there's anybody out there there's some but there's not enough people out there who are highlighting that who are showing that right now it's just um 
you know, the they're seeing, I, I told you before, the finish line. Like, well, Highlight fuck, reels. dude, his, his marathon, and marathon's an understatement, is so fucking far back and long and hard. Like, let's show that, you know, because everybody at this point has gotten to know you know, the, the finish line you're at. So it's cool for us. And that's why we're like hand selecting who comes on. Like we have to genuinely sit here because we're not doing it for, it's not for money, not for other, we have to genuinely sit here and be like, I want to know this guy or girl's story. Yeah. And this story was fucking incredible. Like uh, one of the baddest. So dude, I tell you what, I've been, I've done a few of these and I've never, I don't know why I think I like you and I have a lot of respect for you. I've never been as vulnerable as I was today. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a testament to you guys and what you're doing. I just feel comfortable with you, and uh, and I felt I felt honored to be able to to share. Dude, it, it's tough, you know, because you know every part of what's outside of here, and you talk about connectivity and whatnot, just screams like you have to be polished, polished. You have to put the best foot forward. You'd be like, I guess you, you can live that way. And like the the person that gave you advice was like, stop fucking lying, dude. Yeah, dude, be vulnerable. That's be real is more than be to me. I'd rather be with someone who's real than polished. Like if polished is you're real, then that's cool. But there's probably mm-hmm. not much depth to that. If it's just all porcelain. Mm-hmm. So to me, like little, little roughness adds character to mm-hmm. people in depth. It, it's unique too, because uh, us sitting here, we all have like, we have that story, you know, where it wasn't like you see Everyone you and you right now that. and you're looking like your story right now. Like everybody knows like you're up here in your career and like where you're performing and playing and all that. But look, like how many people actually know when I fucking was like begging, begging, begging to get in my foot in the door. You know, now it's like I, I say no more than I say yes, yeah. which is which is a wild place to get to. But um, it's awesome. That's that's kind of the that's the. I, I guess the barometer, right? What you got to get to a point where it's on your terms, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to be at. Awesome pod, fuck man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so yeah definitely. Thank That's you. a wrap. <laughs>